Hi everyone, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the following podcast belong solely to the host and its contributors. They are not necessarily the views of our employers, organizations, committees, or other group or individual. Hi, I'm Joseph Whitney. And I'm David Campbell. Welcome to Brewing with BIM. Where we talk about construction technology, processes, and beer. All right, man. I think we're recording. What's going on, man? All right. How's Not much, man. How you doing? I'm doing all right, man. How's life been treating you? It's been a while since we chatted. We we missed last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just been busy. Um, busy, busy at work, and then you know, coming home. I got four kids here that uh, definitely, definitely give me plenty to do. That's two full-time jobs. Heck, four kids. That's actually three full-time jobs, man. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, I got two of my own, but uh, seems like you've uh, twice the headaches I got. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Where were you you got to break them up, and the older yeah. and, and then younger. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, how, how was your Halloween? What'd you guys do? Oh, it was great actually. We um we went to we had well we went to a Spirit of Halloween Town in St. Helens, and then we ended up doing that the day before, I believe, the weekend before, and then for Halloween. Um, night, we visited Aver- Avermere, um, Avermore, I think it is actually, retirement community right down the road from where we live. So we took the kids up there and, and we went trick-or-treating through the retirement community, which was great. And then um, then ended up just hanging out with uh, one of my buddies here right around the block, TJ, and letting the kids kind of trick-or-treat up and down the block that we were on. Cool, cool. Yeah. yeah. Wait, uh, refresh my memory. Is TJ the other vet that uh, you guys you met? Yep. Okay, yeah. He actually did... works downstairs. Yeah. Oh, nice, nice. Cool. Yeah. Um, I uh, had to skip the festivities. I was on a plane in Connecticut, enjoying the thunderstorms and you know delayed <laughs> flights and all the fun stuff. But uh, oh yeah, no bueno. But I got to talk about technology and construction, and it was awesome. Hey, People, that's always good. I got to preach about scanning and you know drones. People are always approaching me saying, you know, drones are, you know, we we have this conversation regularly about you know drones mm-hmm. and the emergence of drones, and like, well, we just you know we can't, you know, we we can't get the ROI we need out of it. We're not doing bridge inspections or anything like that. So like a twenty thousand dollar drone is insane. It's like, well, drones aren't twenty thousand dollars anymore, and I can give you an instant no, ROI on it. Not yeah. twenty thousand anymore. So we uh we we actually just flew it around this room that we were in with uh doing this construction stuff, this technology stuff, and people mm-hmm. were amazed and we were talking about workflows with scanning and uh it was great conversations. Uh, a lot of large engineering firms, uh, multidiscipline firms were instantly yeah. blown away and we got to have so, those fun conversations, man. I wonder what the uh, point density is like on those. Oh, it's um it's uh pictures. Oh, it's all pictures. Hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's not a scanner. It's a photogrammetry. Okay, okay. And it uses like Pix4D to to map it all together and all that fun stuff. But um, okay. Yeah, we had a lot of good conversations, and it's always good, you know. Even though I had to be away from the family, uh, like instantly when you hear somebody and they're, you know, hear somebody say, "Oh my gosh, I'm only working with you forever," just because 
yes, we want all of this and we want it to work exactly like you said. It's like, well, yeah, that's that's the way it works. Let's you know, let's yep. start figuring out how to make money for you guys with it. Yeah, uh, so that was great. That was a that was a fun time, man. But uh, uh, so you know, important things. What are you drinking on this week? Actually, I am drinking on um, one of the breweries in Portland, Oregon, that you kind of turned me on to, uh, Ecliptic Brewing. I got their Starburst IPA. It's a good one. Yeah. It's a good one. Yeah. I was in Portland again this week, so I kind of was snooping around, and I'm like, man, Joey said a lot about this Ecliptic Brewing. said that he liked it, so let's go ahead and give it a try. I have not been disappointed so far. Well, I am a little jealous because, I mean, not that I'm drinking a bad beer, but uh, I'm drinking a Corona Light at the moment. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, we uh, we had some family come down and join us. Uh, they they came in from upstate New York, and uh, we spent the day uh, in in my my neck of the woods and uh, made tacos and all that fun stuff. And figured, you know, I'd get some some Coronas, and we made margaritas. Yeah. And uh, I bought for this podcast, I bought a um, 21st Amendment Blood Orange IPA. I'm all about the the Blood Orange and all about the yep. IPAs, obviously. And uh, we decided to drink that yesterday instead of the Coronas, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> it's all right. Uh, they got to drink uh, either way. So oh, dude, here I am enjoying uh, uh, some light beer, man, which is probably <laughs> dude, the less manly thing for this podcast. No, it's funny. Mine was in the exact reverse. Last night I was drinking Corona and lime. <laughs> Tonight oh, I'm drinking the, the Starburst IPA. Oh, see, you said Corona and lime. I um. <laughs> I have a lime upstairs. I just uh, got lazy and didn't cut it up, and was like, "Ah, screw oh, it. dude, I gotta do it. I, I have to put the lime in it. It yeah. makes it for me. Oh yeah, it makes the Corona for oh, me. No, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. I just, uh, <laughs> I'm just too tired. I gotta be up at like uh, <laughs> five in the morning. I'm heading to uh, next this week. I'll be in uh, Chicago and South Bend, and I'll oh, make a right. quick trip up to Michigan and all that fun stuff, my man. Nice. I'm going back up week. to Anchorage. Anchorage in the winter. Oh or yeah. Fall. Whatever. Yeah. It's cold enough. Dude, I yeah, I just I just went to Costco. We actually we just got back a little bit ago. Went to Costco and I got some uh under under layers to prepare for Anchorage. Yeah, that's that's actually very smart. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was walking around downtown last time I was there and I realized uh the Pacific Northwest has made me very, very um, more sensitive to the cold. <laughs> you haven't even been there that long, man. You're a, you're an Indiana guy, dude. You should be used Shoot. to thermals and you know, yeah, cold. right. Hey, yeah, yeah. Except uh, when it gets cold, I can't move. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Getting old, man. Getting old. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are you, 32 now? 30. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's oh. even better. Yeah. yeah. Gosh. Yeah. Well, four kids. I think. Uh, there's a multiplier on that, so you're really like yes. 110 or something. <laughs> yes, it's like in dog years. <laughs> oh, man. Well, hey, we got a great podcast today. We're talking about uh, Lean Bim versus Swole Bim, man. Yes. This is uh, this is pretty interesting, you know. Um, uh, lean, you know, another buzzword. And then Swole Bim, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the overinflation of information, you know, how you're leveraging yep. that data. And you decided to stick with Swole Bim this week, so I'm anxious to hear – um, your thoughts on this, and uh, I'll jump in with some some notes I've got about Lean BIM, and yeah, uh, let's get at it. All right. Well, 
you know, I've, I've been doing a lot of research on this and, and I, there are, I want to say a lot of things about lean, like the ideals or the, uh, the kind of structure of how lean is supposed to work, right? I'm all about templates. I'm all about saving time, kind of saving money. But honestly, for me, it's what you get out of the model that is really going to save time and save money. The more that the model has in it, not in terms of wasting with extra families that you don't need, things like that, but in terms of the more information you can put into that model. So, so it essentially be. Can I stop you there? I have a question. Um, so you're saying so the model more, that it becomes passed off to everyone. Yeah. So the more information, I just want to re reiterate that. So the more information you're pumping in the model, the better it is for everybody. Yep. Can, can I can I ask you to um, kind of go a little bit deeper on that? So who, what information specifically, and who are we benefiting? I just, I'm, are we benefiting so, construction? Are we benefiting the FM teams? Are we benefiting um, you know, the, the subcontractors. I mean, I wonder yep. what information you're talking about putting in. So getting this benefit. I'm actually thinking it all the way down the line and in, in terms of you got your designers, right? And of course your designers are going to be through the schematic conceptual into the construction documentation phase. Right. But I think at a certain point, there needs to be a conversation on where that handoff is and how the apprenticeships, how the trades, you know, are essentially training their draftsmen because I believe that GCs, um, construction unions, I believe that they should have their own draftsmen. They should have their own draftspeople. They really should. And what they should be doing is learning what our design, like what the, um, gosh, why I'm, I'm blanking on the word right now, but what our standards are essentially for the design and then pushing in what information they need to standardize in terms of starting to detail out these BIM models, right? And putting in the information in terms of when we're going out to install equipment in that in that building, that we're going into that model and they're pushing the FMs, the, the owner's manuals, they're pushing everything, all the warranty information, the maintenance intervals, all of that information into this BIM model. Now, I'm not saying that we need one combined, right? In terms of one central model-like idea, no. What I'm saying is you have everyone inserting maybe, and, and I... I know I'm kind of stuck on Revit here, but you're inserting links, right? You're bringing this model together at like a, almost like a puzzle, but essentially everybody's putting their information into this model so it can be used by everyone. And, and I'm talking like, again, when you hand that over into the, the, hand it over to the owner, right? And they can put this information into their maintenance system. All of their maintenance people can then train on this building. They would have all of the information they need to pull from it at any point in time and so, I, I, for me it's like i feel like if you're giving them the um like this the bones right if you're giving them the bare bones that's great that'll open up quick and they can see stuff but i i just feel like if it's too lean then who's really gaining anything i mean yes it helps speed it through it, it pushes this this model through this project through it might get done a little bit quicker save a little bit of money up front but overall, your 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 investment throughout the entire life cycle of that building would be better by investing it a little more money into the forefront and really getting what you want out of that building in terms of a, a file that can be used. So so I, I hear what you're saying, but um, from the experiences that I've had, 
it seems like getting more information into the model is is never i mean yeah it's a it's um it's it's you know skilled labor it's a uh, uh, employee mm-hmm. it's you know um, allocating hours it's that it's it's those type of issues but it's those type of issues in this from from a point that they're not contractually obligated so the mm-hmm. owner is not educated enough to ask for what they want and again we we can go back to that one specific municipality where where we could use yeah. that as an example <laughs> um, where some stuff happened but um, yeah. there's there seems to be a disconnect right so on Swolbim, when when you when you I'm I'm excited because I love data. I'm I'm a data geek. I love yep. GIS. I love I love models that are rich in information. I I love that sort of stuff. But then you start thinking about you know I chose Lean Bim this week, so um, I try to can't come at it from a different point. I try to think about well what do we really need, and and what you really need is um, you know geometry and then. The other part of it is it's all objective, rather subjective. It depends on what the owner um, wants. And nobody's – or I won't say nobody, but very few people are having those conversations with the owner about what information they need. You know, you can pump information into any model um, and get a lot of you know rich data out of it. But really, the FM actually only cares about less than 5% of that model. Um, you know, I care about where some structural stuff is, but more importantly, the systems. I care about warranty information. I care about um, – so there was this really cool workflow where we could go from BIM 360 uh, – we can go to Revit to glue, connect the mm-hmm. field, field back to glue. And um, our commissioning uh, agents could be out in the field pumping, uh, you know, functional tests, all this sort of stuff, and have it mm-hmm. update all that information back into the model. It was amazing. But – how does somebody consume this at the end? Autodesk had this tool called Ops, so we really had to have people that would buy yep. in on Ops to get it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're just now getting to a point where FM systems are able to consume mass amounts of data and actually Revit models, and there's still a lot of cleanup that has to happen. But I was sitting there thinking, I'm like, well, well, what specific information could we give the GCs and subcontractors? So I just want to get back to this. I just want to say, well, what is that information that we can put in our models that's going to better enable people during coordination and installation. And I've got some few ideas, but I want to hear your thoughts on um, if I was to put information in those, those Revit models, what's that stuff that I could give them um, that's going to make their lives easier just for solely construction, because, you know, for whatever reason, just anticipate that the owner is not on board. Um, Even though 3% of the, of the building's costs or our construction and 97% occur after construction. So mm-hmm. the owner, the owner needs to understand that, but um, just for construction purposes, what is some information that you would want to put in there for a contractor or subcontractor, maybe for coordination, fabrication? Oh, dude, or... that's easy. I mean, honestly, if you're looking at it, I mean, I'm, I'm wanting everything to be modeled um, in terms of actual sizes. And I know a lot of times people are like, get it close because we all know construction is not perfect, yeah. but at the same time, you have some of these projects where you have water lines, air lines, you know, gas lines, what have you, running all over these these projects, these models. And essentially, people are like, oh, well, we got this done today. This is our bit. We're good to go. But their bit doesn't actually line up with what needed to be installed. Dude, I was talking to... Gosh, who was it? Like last week, I was talking to a couple of couple of guys who were working on a project where they actually had to go back and do 
gosh, I think it was two days of rework because their penetration points didn't actually line up where the pipes were actually put in. So they actually had to go through and re-drill concrete because at that point, they're not going to move the pipes. The pipes are in. So they have to re-drill the concrete and, and get it to work up. And I mean, honestly, that information could have been figured out through clash detection. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, even even um, just keeping it in Revit with um, clash detection. interference. Well, oh, yeah, interference, interference check. check. Yeah, yeah, yeah interference right. check. Right. But I mean, if you're really pushing all of this information into the models where all these lines are going, linking them all together, I mean. I like to think about everything. Now, I'm a big, I want to say, structural guy as well, right? So even in construction, if you can go ahead and analyze, let's say, what the site conditions are going to be over the course of your project and, and say something like Revit in, in terms of, I, I mean, I'm going to do, I'm going to go all of it and say structural, you know, you're actually placing loads on some of these walls and you're actually pushing weight on these retaining walls and you're actually pushing your site up against it. And if you get water runoff, how much are you going to lose? Where's the pressure going to come from? If you're getting a snowstorm now, of course, we're not getting too much here in the Pacific Northwest. But if I'm getting a good sized snowstorm in the you know mid upper Midwest or on the East Coast, how is this going to affect my project? How is this going to affect my estimates? Right. Because, of course, we all know that if you're if you're pouring like some concrete over metal decking and the weather drops, you know, the, the temperatures drop, you start getting some snow. You're either going to have to start, you know, putting some additives in the concrete to get it to, to form quicker, you know, or you're going to have to make some changes in what you're doing, which is fine. But that also adjusts your budget. Yeah, that's stuff I didn't even think about is external um, ex, you know, external um, uh, influences on the mm-hmm. constraints of the project. And, when and, we're, con- and when we're thinking about that combine, stuff in terms of BIM. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, dude. When you're combining GIS, you're bringing BIM, GIS information into BIM. And then you're starting to really incorporate where this building's located. What are the conditions going to be over the course of the life cycle of this project? I mean, it, it's it's really nuts in in terms of starting to to accurately estimate these projects and get an idea on what we can expect with them. Now, of that, course, nothing's going to be perfect, but it gives you a better idea. Yeah, that's another interesting aspect: estimation, so takeoffs. Um, so if you have accurate model information, um, takeoffs become more accurate. And, you know, you know, that that actually does bring up a very good point. Um, so you were talking about um, uh, um, you were talking about using Revit information. So having the the BIM stuff, but you were talking about um, uh, getting stuff on site like uh, mm-hmm. external forces, external external uh, conditions. But uh, what about like delivering delivering information and stuff like that like uh mm-hmm. not just concrete but um maybe you've got um i don't know just thinking out loud but maybe you've got something that uh is is you know weather specific or you know um you know maybe something right but if yep. you had if you had site conditions and they were accurately updating in your your revit model and you were running mm-hmm. uh, or maybe not even revit model maybe navis works rather right and you were running yep. your uh, yep. timeliner and stuff like that or your pull planning schedules or whatever you were doing. Um, but if you had all of this stuff update directly back into your information, um, I don't know. I don't know, man. Yep. I'm just no. thinking out loud. I There's a lot, dude. There's so much, really. If you think about it, I mean, during the construction process, I would love for everyone to actually document what they did on the site, like in terms of, 
okay, we had to make a change here. We didn't build it like this. We changed it because of this. And it actually reflects that in the model. Like the change does get made in the model. Oh, a lot of well. times I see that lack of communication there. And then you get as built and you're still having to go through that building to double check because it's like, hey, um, no, that's not right. I know that's not right because I'm looking at it. Yeah, I don't know and, if that's more about BIM information, but rather about connectivity to the field and then forcing somebody to to as built based back off into the, it. Yeah, back mm -hmm. into it, which is a is an issue in its own, right? So somebody produces yes. a model for coordination. <laughs> Once it's been coordinated, um, nobody goes back and, and updates the model. They don't like if a change has been made. It just doesn't happen. They'll slip sheet yep. something in, like a PDF somewhere, but um, it's just you no know, red lines and markups. Yep. Um, I mean, obviously, depending on the type of project. But, uh, I mean, that's another thing, right? So coordination. Um, so if you get enough BIM information pumped in through coordination, right? So an mm -hmm. a big issue that we have is when we work with contractors, uh, subcontractors specifically, um, they don't want to spend enough time or a lot of time in two systems, right? So they'll get through, they'll model something in Revit, and then they'll turn on fabrication yeah. services. They'll pump it out to fabrication rather than staying in Revit. So the Revit model is not very ac accurate, but they're using that yep. Revit model for coordination. Yep. What happens is um, they'll model, say, uh, we'll use the wrong size duct um, to model with, but then we'll turn on fab services and, and do that. Now, mm -hmm. maybe duct's not a good example because they're usually one of the, the you know last ones. To, to get a say in yeah and anything yeah <laughs> one of the most important things but <laughs> yeah but but you know just imagine like if yeah if you're not going to update your revit model with the accurate information you know at least even through coordination um at least put in you know change the name of it right so that it does mm -hmm. say you know 10 inch or whatever and you can model with 12 inch but if you're putting that information in the model that says 10 inch at least my guys that are out there say we're running electrical afterwards. Um, yep. I'll know that, you know, two inches of that on either side, two inches of that is, is um, uh, or two inches that that diameter is. Flopping. So imagine this, though, Joe, imagine that everybody can pretty much stay on the same platform and pull all of this information from one model and push information back into that model. So I know and I'm not I'm not uh, jumping on this of bus. That's but a lot of risk and a lot of uh, a lot of people want to own a lot of people want to own it. And here's there's a fear mm -hmm. that I you know I don't want people to see what I'm doing because I don't want them to know that I don't know what I'm doing. And you you hear this a lot too because we do a lot of consulting for firms and that's like you know especially when they're new to Revit that's like their number one thing is yeah uh, we don't know we won this project but we don't know what we're doing and it's Revit so yep. help us out. Imagine. Imagine that you connect Revit and Navis and Civil and everything like that, right, into into something like BIM 360, right? Love and it. I mean, yes, I do too. And and you start seeing where they're going, but you start really giving everyone the capability to push and pull information from something like that. And and if I'm going back to Swole BIM here, in terms of Let's, you know, assemble being pushed into BIM 360. There's all your costing. There's all of your estimates. There's your bids, right? And then if you have someone from the field pushing information back into the model as in terms of what was actually installed, how much the units cost, everything like that, your, your project is updating in terms of cost, in terms of, well, let's say everything. As things are being adjusted, your construction schedule keeps on track. 
as things break down or things slow down in different areas, you're tracking who's doing what, how it happens, what changes happen. And so, I mean, really giving everybody access into that to pull from. But how much time does does go into that? I mean, that's the number one thing that we hear about is, you know, maybe we don't have enough time or it's not contractually obligated. So I'm not going to put in the overtime or pay for the budget to to I update the, 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 you know, with what was specified or value engineered. You know, none of that, yep. that, that um, those changes and are actually making you know, its way back into the model. You know what my argument's going to be for that is is the biggest argument out of pretty much anything, right? It's the initial investment. It's the initial investment in time and money. If you're willing to push more up front, it saves you down the road. And I know for that owners, you know right? that's hard to see. Well, yes, but for okay. everybody, I would think, not even just owners, but let's say owners, let's say general contractors with subcontractors, because you know we're we're going back to like the construction verification kind of process. But if you're using something like a BIM model, a, a really big, I want to say, I want a swole model, but if you're really using something like that to track all of the information in terms of what's installed, when it's installed, who's falling behind, like the construction IQ that BIM 360 is essentially building onto now, right? And you're giving everybody those reports in terms of when they're you know, placing bids, hey, in the last three projects, this company has had these three crews, they've fall, fell behind or they've done excellent, they, their reviews are doing this. Hey, on this project, you did the same type of project that had the same kind of parameters a year ago. And you're seeing this is the kind of budget that you wound up in on this area. This is the conditions that you ran into, the soil conditions. This is the issues that you had on a project in this area. And you're keeping that information to analyze it and continuously moving forward. And I know part of the lean process is to build off of every project, right? It's, it's to learn and to build what you can do better and implement that. Well, I'm kind of taking that and saying with Swole, you're actually seeing what information you can push into it to really get more down the line. So putting so more I, up front. I I I agree with you. Uh, I am going to play devil devil's advocate and go into the lean, <laughs> lean side of it, but uh, I do want to uh, reiterate something there that you hit on that was very important. Um, uh, everybody connecting on one platform and sharing information, and, and the reason why this is important is um, if we're talking swole BIM, how is it beneficial if not everybody can see that information or yep. the field doesn't have access to that information? And we've only gotten to the, that point here in the past you know, year or so, uh, maybe maybe two, two and a half years where um, the field is actually starting to adopt technology that allows them to view information out, you know, from the models out in the field. You know, the technology has been around for a while, yes, but it's only mm -hmm. becoming uh, more prevalent, especially on, you know, the you know, 50 million, to, you know, and up job sites um, that the field is actually starting to act, um, use that information. Um, so I, I was chatting with this uh, uh, this gal at this event, and uh, she was a student, um, and, uh, you know, she's trying to touch, touch bases on everything. She wants to learn everything. She doesn't know which industry she's going to, but she's entering at a, a mechanical contractor um, up in the Northeast and they're using, uh, BIM 360 or they want to be using BIM 360 because of, um, uh, other subcontractors that are on the job site have seen success or they see them using the iPads and the tablets out in the field viewing information. They're like, well, we want to get there. Um, but they don't know how to have that information. They don't know how to get there. They don't know anything about it. So they started recently researching technology to get them there. And they're a good size, you know, firm, a good size, uh, mechanical contractor 
Um, mm-hmm. But it's taking this this young gal who's actually an intern to actually do the research to figure out how to get it implemented. Like they're they're you know it, it, re- so what I'm getting at is really it comes down to having younger generation involved. Um, not not you know lambasting anybody that's older. I'm just saying somebody that that's not afraid of the technology and not not accustomed to doing a job a certain way but is looking for a way to make their name and figure out how they can make it better and seem like a hero. This is what this young lady was trying to do. But she's interested in getting that information out in the field. She's interested in doing that. And I, I don't know. I just think that that has to be part of it as well. I don't know. You let me know your thoughts nope. on that. No, dude, I, I completely agree. I mean, it should be. The, the communication between the field and the office is huge. And us implementing technology into the field is huge. I mean, yeah. if you really want to look at it, I'm, I'm I'm getting into these workflows with, let's say, rhythm, right? Rhythm, you take as the concrete guy, as everybody comes out to the site to pour concrete, um, you're, you're taking a scan of the pour right after they finish, and you push that into rhythm, and, I mean, you compare that as to what was modeled, and, I mean, you're looking at all of your, let's say, high spots, all of your low spots, anywhere that you can actually go through and fix that pour before – you know, it actually becomes an issue, right? I mean, it'd be water runoff or collection, anything like that. Rhythm is an awesome project or product because it gives you detailed analysis. But I just want to say, I'll race you into it faster in BIM 360. Or sorry, oh, in Otter has point it, layout. <laughs> I was going to say, dude, in APL, yes. Okay, yeah. I got you. I've already seen the slab analysis in there. I was like, this it is, is so pretty slick. slick. Yeah, it is so like, slick. It really is. Import, yes. done. Highs, lows, yep. already calculated. I mean, the rhythm yep. gives a far better uh, analysis. The floor that. flatness report yeah. and everything like that. Yes, definitely yeah. a better analysis. But yes, you're right. In terms of quickness <laughs> and speed, yeah. <laughs> APL just, is just, on it, man. I just wanted to give you that, man. I've been, uh, uh, man, I do, uh, I don't know. I've, a handful of APL demos a week, it seems like. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm not even the demo guy. I just do it. I love APL. I'm such a proponent. I work with uh, Shane Hamill uh, and Zach Ramal from uh, Autodesk quite regularly on yep. you know, next gen, fixing up bugs and having those conversations about, uh, um, you know, making, you know, pushing the industry, pushing the needle and, and getting the most out of the product. So um, Autodesk is definitely invested in, in having those conversations about making products better, especially on that side of things. And, and I love it. I love working with those guys. So shout out to those guys. Um, oh, yeah. So I want to split this into two episodes. Let's stop right here. Well, David, man, those were those were great perspectives on uh, Swole BIM. I can't wait till next week where we chat about uh, Lean BIM and I get to lead the charge.